Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are a woman that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you come to the right place. There are no hard and fast rules and you don't have to call yourself anything. You're just a woman that knows something isn't working for her and you are wanting to make an intentional change. I'm Rachel Pritz and I'll walk alongside you as you learn to drink less and live more. Let's go. Welcome back. We are going to be talking about centers of intelligence. I briefly touched on it in the last episode, but I really want to expand on this because it's something that I think is really important from a self-awareness perspective. I think for us as women, we often turn off these features that we have because we believe or we're told by the world that they're not valuable. Being emotional is not valuable. Emotions don't give us any information, so we should just put them aside and think through it. Um, Our bodies don't give us any information. You know, like, we just need to keep powering through. You know, that's sort of how we've all been trained. Like, no pain, no gain. And I think that's a load of absolute shit that we need to be in pain in order to gain things. I do think that we're humans So there's going to be pain and suffering in our lives. There's no doubt about that. I do think that those can lead to gains in our lives, but I also don't think that that's a requirement in order to find a joy-filled, happy life. You know, I don't think we have to experience that. And so, and I think the, the more intelligent we are with all three of these centers of intelligence, the more we can get that, the more that that is even possible that that's within our reach. So The centers of intelligence, you know, I was really introduced to these with the Enneagram. And so as I was on my own journey through just, you know, self-awareness, learning that I was an Enneagram 9, I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to figure out what these centers of intelligence mean. Which one of these muscles do I really need to work? That's kind of how I approach it when I do this with teams or I do Enneagram talks. I kind of talk about these three centers of intelligence as muscles And we often have worked one muscle really hard, maybe another one so-so and a other muscle that we just have neglected altogether. Um, It's our weakest ones. We don't like, you know, working it at the gym or, you know, working it period because it just feels like, forget it. I'm going to do the one that is strongest. Similar to, you know, like with StrengthsFinder, we talk about you can overuse these strengths. I think that is what I'm, you know, connecting it to there. Like we can absolutely overuse a strength. So, you know, I have one of my strengths is woo on, um, on StrengthsFinder. Can I totally overuse that? For sure. There's no doubt about it. So, and it's like, oh, am I putting on a mask here in order to get what I want in this scenario? Because that can happen for sure. I think we all do that to a certain degree. And I've really done a good job of being like, no, I want to show up as my authentic self. If I need to be vulnerable in this moment, um, that actually is woo, right? That actually does draw people in, but I had just been trained for so long that it, you know, didn't. And so, um, so now that I have seen the benefits of really being who I am and being vulnerable and sharing with people what's actually going on instead of putting on the mask, oh my gosh, like mind blowing life altering people are, are truly drawn to me because of that. So, so the centers of intelligence, I'll just name them so you can understand what I'm talking about. And then we'll talk through each one. 
So the first one that we're all sort of, you know, told this is the way to be, we've got to learn more, you have to get more of an education, you have to get another degree, um, and then, then you'll be successful, right? That is the thinking center. So, or sometimes called the head center. So that's when we go to the mind to make our decisions, right? We're like, okay, so what's my brain telling me? Um, and what's the data showing us? And let's be very objective here. The challenge with that is, is that our brain is not always objective. In fact, it's, it's quite subjective and it lies to us all the time. So we start to create these patterns of behavior because our brain is so conditioned to believe that that is true, that we can't even break through that. We don't even know that's a limiting belief for us or that there's some lie within that belief system that we've been telling ourselves for a really long time. And most of us have some belief systems that are just really core to kind of who we are and we have to challenge those. That's part of what I loved about the Enneagram is it challenged some belief systems I had. So as an Enneagram nine, we often believe that if we are ourselves, that people won't love us. So we can't say what we want. We can't ask for what we want. We can't show up as our authentic selves because people just will reject us. They won't love us. And yikes, like what a painful belief system that I didn't know I even had until I started this whole journey, you know, seven, eight years ago. So Keeping that in mind, we're sort of pulling these things to the surface because they are often so ingrained in us, we don't even know that they're there. So that is one center of intelligence, the thinking center. Another center of intelligence is what we call the gut center or sometimes called the body center. And uh, just to give you a connection with the Enneagram, um, for the thinking center, the five, six, and sevens kind of live in that thinking center. Doesn't mean that the other numbers don't have access to that. So keep that in mind. But they are kind of typically will kind of go to that first unless they've been trained not to. Um, And then for the body or gut center that I mentioned, those are eights, nines, and ones. So a lot of eights, nines, and ones that I talk to, nines sometimes will shut off their body center of intelligence. I certainly did for years. But when I turned it back on, I have a very strong gut instinct And when I can balance when it is gut instinct and when it's just plain anxiety or fear, like when I can, when I can figure out which is which the gut instinct is always right. I mean, it is always right. I've never once had it steer me in the wrong direction. Uh, Where I think people get challenged with this one is it's really hard to differentiate between anxiety and fear and your gut instinct. So sometimes people are like, no, I followed my gut and it steered me in the wrong direction. And I'm like, well, but were you doing that because you were anxious about it or fearful, or were you doing that because it was actually what your body and your gut were telling you? So, um, so that is another center of intelligence. You know, I mentioned in the last episode, uh, a full body, yes, or a full body, no. And just like really having this body compass where we can measure our reactions to things that are good for us and things that are not good for us. It's interesting when I do that with clients, it's always different. So I want you to keep that in mind. Mine will not be yours. There's often some similarities with some of these, you know, where people feel it in their body. But I mean, people have some really specific things that they'll say when they're having a negative experience or a positive experience. Like I get a tingling in the middle of my hand, you know, like people will say things like that where you're like, oh, that is really unique to you. And that is something to pay attention to. So keeping that in mind, if you ever do kind of a body compass or a body scan with those experiences, um, that this, it's going to be different. I've heard hundreds of these and they're all different, every single one. So, um, and sometimes I'll prompt them by asking some questions and I'm surprised by the answer back. I'm like, wait, what? That's cool. You know, um, I, uh, wow. Like I don't experience that at all. 
So that is another area of intelligence. And then our last one is the emotional or heart center of intelligence. Hands down. I know I said I shut off the body, but hands down, I turned so far away from emotional intelligence. Um, like I'd shut it all off. I'd completely shut it off. One of the ways that it turned back on just naturally was when I became a mom. (laughs) So all of a sudden I had all these emotions where I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Um, and I'll be honest. So I want to share this part of, of becoming a mom because there might be people listening that are, you know, on that journey or they just, you know, just have had a baby or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. Everybody told me the second you lay eyes on that baby, you know, like this is what everybody, like they give you all this advice. The second you lay, lay eyes on that baby, you are going to just fall completely in love and you know, you'll, you'll just, yeah, you'll just be goo goo for this baby. That was not my experience at all. And I think we need more women sharing this because it feels like there's something wrong with us when we don't have this immediate connection with this baby. Quite frankly, when he came out of my body, I was like, I didn't understand what just happened. I mean, I was, it felt so surreal to me. It didn't feel like it was happening to me. Clearly I knew there was a baby in there. Um, but it just didn't, I like, I had no idea what that experience would be like to be like, oh, now he's outside of my body and they've just put this baby on top of me that I have never met before. And, uh, what? Like, I mean, what? And then you go home and you're sleep deprived. And I remember about a couple weeks into this, I said to my husband, I mean, what, like, what did we do? We had a pretty sweet life. And we could go anywhere we wanted without packing all the shit. And what did we do? You know, so I just kept kind of thinking that. And so I thought, gosh, there's, is there something wrong with me? Maybe I'm like emotionally broken or something that I can't, you know, connect with this baby in this way that I thought that I was supposed to. And then it was about six weeks. He was about six weeks old and he had woken up in the middle of the night and was hungry, you know, as they do. And I walk into his room and I'm like feeding him and everything is silent. And I looked at his little face and I mean, there was this rush of emotion and I was like, oh my God, I love you more than anything in the world. And that took me a little while to get to. So like none of these ways are wrong. If it takes you, you know, six months, a year to get there, like that is okay. (laughs) I don't think we should be shamed for that. And so That is when I felt like my emotions just really got unlocked. That also meant, so I felt this intense love, but that also meant I felt intense anxiety because what comes with love, oh my God, the fear that something's going to happen to this thing that I love now. So, wow, like I had to deal with all of that, you know, and I was having some pretty irrational um, thoughts and anxieties about, you know, something that might happen to him. It was pretty, pretty irrational. So when I look back on it, there's probably some postpartum depression going on and anxiety for sure. Um, so, you know, that was where it sort of got unlocked. I went back to work and, you know, I was at the bedside at the time as a nurse and I was feeling really strong emotions with my patients, feeling really connected with them, feeling like I could like emotionally connect with them, which I'd never had before. Um, you know, I was raised to sort of just shut it all out. I was raised as a German Lutheran, like do not show your emotion um, don't even talk about it. (laughs) So I didn't. So I internalized it forever and I just sort of shut that part of me off and then it got unlocked. So, you know, and then it just didn't stop. It was like, holy cow, here it is. I had to figure out how to like, how to deal with it. Right. Cause it was hard to feel all these emotions that I had shut off for so long. 
And so that was hands down the area I had to really work on. And then, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but, you know, after I had my son and, you know, it was just a really lovely experience, honestly, you know, outside of like some of those things that I share, like the anxiety and all those things, you know, then we suffered a miscarriage, a stillbirth and a miscarriage. And you want to talk about a flood of emotion that I didn't know how to process. And so, um, you know, that was really tough and I did start to see a therapist and a coach, you know, you know, throughout some of those experiences to help me through that, which was really valuable. Um, and then I got into, you know, obviously like the, uh, career woman and, you know, I was really loving what I was doing and all those things, but there's a lot of pressure with that, you know? And so drinking came into play there because there was a lot of feelings of overwhelm, uh, all the time, you know, like just overwhelmed in all the things like being a parent, being a career mom or being a career person, um, being a a wife, a daughter, you know, all the things that just all sort of became very overwhelming to me. And so I picked up drinking a little bit more in that time and space. That was, that was the like bottle of wine every night. And then I got a handle on that and it felt like, okay, like, all right. You know, I felt like my emotions weren't so all over the place. I felt like I understood them. I really got connected with my anger, especially through the Enneagram. When I was uh, first looking at the Enneagram and reading about the different types, you know, I tested as a three, but I am actually a nine. I was like, gosh, I have so, I know I have anger. I know it's there, but I just don't like, I release it every once in a while. And then people are like, where the hell did the easy going woman that we know go? Like what happened there? But for the most part, I just keep it internal, you know? And like, even as a young kid, as I started looking back, I was like, gosh, when I was like punished or sent to my room, I would sit in there just like burning with anger burning with it. Like, I mean, I wanted to like get revenge on whoever put me in there or whatever the circumstance was that brought me to that, that point. And I would come out of my room and not do anything because I wasn't acceptable to be angry. So I just didn't do anything, but it was still there, right? Like I was still carrying that anger and that didn't go away with, um, you know, with adding children to our family and figuring out how to, find balance. I don't want to, I hate that word, but balance <laughs> between, you know, my husband and I, and all of the things that we had to do within the, the household and the workload and all those things. So there was a lot of anger and resentment there. Part of my learning, um, I like to share this with people because I think it was really profound for me. Um, Mark Brackett, um, has a book that's all around emotions. He's been on Bernie Brown's podcast. You may have known him or heard of him, but he talks about, you know, oftentimes we think of resentment as a sort of sub emotion of anger. And he says, no, 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 resentment is envy. And when I first heard it, I was like, bam, like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, that is absolutely true. When I am resentful of someone, it's because I want what they have. I wanted to not have to wake up in the middle of the night and feed a baby. I wanted to sleep like shame on me for wanting to sleep. Um, I wanted to just walk out the door and go to work and not have a care in the world, but no, I had a bazillion things in my head. So-and-so's got to go here. So-and-so's got to go here. We got to get this person here. And I got to tell daycare this. And I got to tell, you know, like all the things that we manage as the mental load as women. And that was really challenging, you know, like it was, it was really hard to do that part of it. And so I was envious. I wanted to just have my old life back. I wanted um, to have the life that I thought my husband had, you know, where he just sort of got to go to work and not think about all these things that I had in my mind. And so I was envious. So I got really in tune with the envy and the anger piece of things. Enneagram nines tend to say we're not angry or not even recognize that there's anger there, but recognizing that was a huge win for me. 
So there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of grief just from all the experiences I had, a lot of sadness, a lot of disappointment. I was disappointed in a lot of people in my life um, or people that had been in my life. And so there's just a lot to process. That was a really tough one. And I think this is the hardest one when you take a break from alcohol because you're going to feel all these things and you're like, what the hell do I do with them? Because previously you've just numbed it. Like you're just, you check out of it. You know, you don't have to experience it. So, and if you just keep drinking, like if you drink every single day, then you get to stay numb. Cool. Right. Until like, no, not cool anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore because it also numbs all the wonderful things. And so that love that I felt for my son, when I was drinking a bottle of wine every night, when I looked at him, sometimes I just felt like just neutral, you know, like it was kind of like, I don't have that intense love and I have that intense love back. And I'm so happy about that. Like that makes me so happy that I, like we were walking on the moon on the other day and I just like was looking at the back of his head, like tearing up thinking, I just love this kid so much. Like I love him so much. Um, and you know, like same with my daughter, like when we snuggle and I look at her sweet little face, I'm like, oh my God, I just love you so much. Like, I just want to like eat you. So, (laughs) so, you know, I really think that these three centers of intelligence are important. So I would say what I would ask yourself right now is which one of these muscles or centers of intelligence feel the weakest, your head center, your heart center, or your gut center. And how are you going to strengthen that particular center of intelligence Make more mindful, more intentional decisions with the way you move through the world and challenging that thinking center because that is not always right. In fact, I think it steers us wrong more than it steers us right because we create so many stories within the actual facts. So if we can figure out what the actual facts are in the thinking Um, center, that's wonderful information. Now we can figure out how we feel about those facts and what is actually going on. And then we can also measure how we're feeling it in our body, like what is going on in our bodies in this circumstance to sort of balance all three of those areas of intelligence. So this is hard work. This is not something that's happened overnight for me. And I have still been on this journey to, to continuously sort of balance these, but I do feel like I use all three of these centers fairly, um, you know, most for the most part the same. You know, I kind of like I don't feel like one of those muscles is, is incredibly weak anymore. There are times and seasons of life where I think maybe one gets a little bit weaker and then I'm like, oh, I got a course correct and we'll turn that one up a notch. So measure where that where you're at with that, especially if you're on a break from alcohol, you may be starting to feel some of the emotions. Your brain might be starting to get into the way of like, what am I doing? I might as well just keep drinking. This is terrible. You know? Um, so keeping that in mind, uh, your body might be getting in the way because your body's like, oh my gosh, just please just give me a glass of wine and then I'll feel better. I won't feel exhausted. Um, and we know that that is not true now. So we have to challenge all of that thinking, all of those things. Your body might be reacting to that physically, Right now, as you're taking a break, give it some time. Your body will adjust. It's still adjusting. So so it's not the best time to really use that body center of intelligence when you're on a brand new break from alcohol. Um, but after about that, you know, 14-day, 30-day mark, I think you can start to trust your body again and start to listen to what she has to say. So have a great week, and we will talk next week. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded of new episodes. This is not intended to be medical advice. This is for gray area drinkers that are wanting to evaluate their relationship with alcohol and cut back or quit altogether. If alcohol isn't ruining your life, but it's certainly not making it any better, you're in the right place.